in the last six months alone, we're seeing former directors, former CEOs, and former founders dipping into the activist toolkit. ESG is here to stay. There's a tremendous amount of room for activism to grow. Welcome to the Activist Insight podcast, where today we will be discussing Insightia's half-year review 2021. Our half-year review is a bumper edition of Activist Insight Monthly, which subscribers can get a copy of by visiting our website. We've also provided a handy link for you in the show description on whatever podcast app you're using. So I'm Kieran Paul, and today I am joined by Andrew Friedman, a partner at Olshan Froome Woloski and co-chair of its shareholder activism group as well as the editor of the magazine, Jason Booth, who joins me now. So Jason, we're looking at the half-year review, but it seems only yesterday that we were doing the annual review episode. These six months have gone by so quickly. Well, they have indeed, and it's been an interesting six months as the end of COVID has uh, opened the door for a new wave of activism. You know, what we've seen so far looks like the rest of the year is going to be equally interesting. Yeah, so then tell us about what we can expect in the half-year review. Well, the half-year review is a look at everything that's happened so far this year, both as far as trends, the number of campaigns fought, the type of demands being made. Because it covers the proxy season in the United States and most of the proxy season in places like Japan, you know, we really get a sense of what is the news of, of 2021 versus 2020 and before. You know, we're seeing some interesting developments out there. I mean, the, the ESG trend is in full swing, and it's probably the biggest story of the year. We've seen 17 environmental or social shareholder proposals this year receiving more than 50% support, which is easily a record. More than 60% of environmental shareholder proposals at energy companies passed, which is sort of unheard of. And of course, the top story there was engine number one's successful campaign at ExxonMobil which took many by surprise, but has probably set the trend for ESG campaigns going forward. Elsewhere in the magazine, we have an interesting look at the vulnerability of companies. You know, each month we do a profile of a company that is vulnerable to activism based on our uh, database and analysis of the various things that activists look for in companies, whether it's the stock being undervalued, management inefficiency, the possibility of a company being broke up, and et cetera. But this time, given it's the half-year review, we've taken a slightly different approach and are looking at the top 10 most vulnerable companies. Be sure to look out for that. And our profile is Starboard Values campaign at Box, the digital online storage company, which is still ongoing, but after the ExxonMobil campaign is really probably the highest profile and most important campaign of this year, where after a couple of years of working with management, Starboard is pushing to get more board seats and changes in senior management. The company turned around and did a deal with private equity firm in an effort to basically block the efforts of the activists, which has only exacerbated the campaign. So we'll be looking at that. So all in all, the half-year review edition is going to be an exciting one, and uh, we'll answer a lot of questions about what we've seen so far this year. And what are the major themes then in this review? Well, obviously, ESG is biggest theme of this year. Though, you know, people have pointed out that this isn't necessarily a new theme. It's something that's been developing over the last 10 years or so. 
And, you know, the real theme we've seen this year is that mainstream activists are starting to get onto the uh, bandwagon on this. And it'll be interesting to see whether it continues. It's hard to say. I think we've seen some big successes and there's been a lot of media and a lot of excitement about it. And with the market continuing to trade at record highs, you could argue that activists like other investors are having a hard time coming up with fresh angles. So maybe ESG is the... uh, the angle of the year, whether it will be next year, we will see. But elsewhere, like in Japan, environmental issues are obviously important, but what they're really focusing on right now is the governance part of ESG. We saw that in one of our biggest campaigns of the year with Toshiba, uh, which is facing demands from Ifissimo Capital, 3D Capital and others, but faced accusations that they basically put pressure in tandem with the Japanese government on institutional investors to vote against the activists, which has caused a real furor that will reverberate through Japanese campaigns for the rest of the year and going forward. You know, another point is that, you know, we've seen a a slowdown in activism in general. It started with the COVID-19 pandemic, and we've seen it continuing this year. Though that said, the number of actual proxy fights is up from last year, which is indicated that uh, management is both eager to fight and also that the dedicated activists, when they decide to go launch a campaign, are, are ready to go all the way with it. So there'll be fewer campaigns, but those that have gone forward have been more aggressive. But what is really a, a question that remains unanswered is what about the occasional activists? Those those activists you know, only sometimes get involved in, in campaigns and usually only as a last resort. After many years of being quite active, we've seen a, a sharp slowdown in that area. Now, the question is whether they will return to the market once we get a level of normality returning maybe next year. These yet to be seen. So that's something we're going to keep our eyes on over the next few months. Thank you, Jason. And what can we look forward to in August's issue? Well, the August issue is one of my favorites. It is the wildest campaigns of the year, where we look at 10 campaigns that have been chosen via a vote by the reporters here. Of the campaigns that were both important, but above all were exciting, were wild, included twists and turns, uh, particularly heated debates between management, and dirty tricks, to be, to be frank. So look forward to that one. That's going to be a really good addition. Now we'll hear from Olshan's Andrew Friedman. So welcome to the show, Andrew. Thanks, Kieran. Uh, really good to be here with you guys to share some of my perspectives on what we're seeing now in shareholder activism. Activism is front page news again, despite there being fewer campaigns than before the pandemic. How have activists found their way back? Yeah, look, 2020 was a bit of a rough go of it um, with the pandemic taking hold right during the midst of proxy season, it really was a, and served as a shock to the system. And that's why we witnessed, I think the lowest levels we've seen of activist campaigns since around 2014, last year in 2020. However, uh, in the latter half of the year, the pandemic, uh, while it was still raging in, in certain areas, it was really back to business as usual. The markets rebounded and shareholder activists refound their footing. 
It was, in a lot of ways, just getting back to the basics. I think the pandemic laid bare some of the laggards in certain industries and sectors. So activists were able to, once again, set their sights on companies that they found to be underperforming. And maybe that had some other deficiencies as well, whether it be governance, ESG, or otherwise. And in many cases, activists who had put down their pens and kind of let the pandemic take its course and went a little more passive than they they may have otherwise been in 2020, took up campaigns at certain of their portfolio companies here in 2021. So you know, it really wasn't so much as any widespread changes to the way activists do things. It was just getting back to business. Like we saw, I think, throughout the entire world and you know, around the globe, we saw almost, I think, back to normal levels of, of activist campaigns. Like you mentioned, maybe we're not right there at the 2017, 2018 levels of campaign activity, but we're, we're certainly, I think, close to it. And I think we're going to get even closer to numbers as, as activity continues to increase here. We're certainly seeing it at Olshan. Our team had a very busy 2021 and all signs are that the latter half of 2021, which tends to see a bit of a slowdown after proxy season, seems to be that there's more activity than typical. And again, I think it's just because the business is, is returning to normal in a lot of ways and, and activists are uh, returning to their work as well. And last year, the pandemic led to some settlements. Are companies in a punchier mood this year, would you say? It certainly seems that way. When you look at the number of contests that are going the distance and the number compared to, I guess you would say, the number of settlements or earlier stage settlements, we're, we're seeing companies who are taking it you know, further this year in terms of the proxy fights and not settling maybe as early as some companies otherwise would. But to me, what that shows is you know, some companies are maybe being advised differently. Maybe the defense tactics have changed with certain of the the company advisors who are out there, but demonstrates to me that companies aren't just maintaining status quo and keeping everything the same as they're going through these proxy fights. They're having to make widespread changes to try to appeal to shareholders up and down their base. So let's remember, proxy contests are a means to an end. And the idea is to catalyze change and to catalyze specifically changes that will lead to a company performing better and being more optimized to operate and be more successful in terms of enhancing shareholder value and and competing with peers. And if companies are adopting the changes that activists are seeking on their own, in that way, trying to stave off an activist joining the board or activist nominees joining the board, and in so doing, are making a lot of the changes that the activists are seeking, whether it be governance, operational, social, environmental, uh, refreshing with more diverse candidates, it's not all a loss. I know we get mired in it's very emotional when you're in the throes of a proxy fight and, and the activist, it's a contest, it's a fight. And sometimes we get so bogged down into the particulars of, of winning in the back and forth in the tit for tat that we sort of lose sight perhaps of what the ultimate objective is. And that's to leave a company in a better place than where you found it. And activists are out there selecting companies that are ripe for an intervention. And where, however that change happens, if it's going to be real change that a board and its advisors are enacting at any company that's in the throes of, a, of an activist involvement, then in many ways, that's a positive. 
that's a good thing. So a loss is not always a loss when it comes to a proxy fight. I know uh, this year, it seems that many more are going the distance. And in some cases, management is coming out on top. But I bet if we looked at all of those companies, what we would see are companies that are much differently situated and positioned than the day that the activists surfaced. And to me, that's catalyzing change. That's forcing a company to take steps to better itself and to improve itself that it otherwise wasn't taking on its own accord. And that, to me, that's what shareholder activism is all about. Now, if you know, it comes to the proxy fight, nobody ever likes to lose. And sometimes it's important for the activists or the activists' independent nominees to be on the board to ensure that it's not just window dressing change, or it's not just interim change to stave off a proxy fight or as a defense, but you know, long-term real change. And again, if it's real change that's coming out of these situations, even where the activist loses, to me, that's, that's a positive force. We've seen record levels of M&A or equity issuance opposition in 2021. Was this to be expected? Yeah, look, I think so. Of course, M&A was down quite a bit in 2020 and with the unpredictability of a pandemic, companies were doing everything they could to try to operate in the environment in which they found themselves and M&A wasn't top of mind or paramount. 2021, it's back and it's as strong and robust as ever the M&A environment. You have a combination of factors that create the perfect recipe for M&A to be at the high levels that we're witnessing. And of course, low interest rates feeds right into that. And you have some companies that are underperforming peers and there's opportunistic M&A too. So you know, what we're seeing are two types of M&A opposition, but the most mainstream of the M&A opposition is where for whatever reason, whether it's the M&A process, and maybe it wasn't uh, fulsome or, or robust enough, but for whatever reason, we're getting to some definitive agreements and announced deals where the investors, not just activists, activists just happen to be the ones that may surface with their discontent, but investors by and large in some of these deals feel that there's money being left on the table. And you know, look, M&A is key because it's the end in many senses of a company's lifeline, especially for all cash deals. And you know, investors are going to do whatever they feel they can and need to do to ensure that they're getting the full and fair value for their investment in the company. And also to ensure that the process that the company followed that led to the M&A was fair and balanced from start to finish, and that it was inclusive of all participants and, and potential buyers. You know, there's so many areas in an M&A process where the conflicts can cloud the end game and, and the ultimate deal that gets announced, whether it's exclusivity, whether there's a go shop or not a go shop period. So again, again there's so many factors involved. So with that, you know, we're seeing loads of M&A opposition because there's loads of M&A. In other sense, we're seeing companies that where an activist believes a company should be undertaking a strategic review or looking at potential M&A because, again, we're in an incredibly strong M&A environment. And there's some companies where if they're underperforming for whatever reason, the activist believes that rather than continue to operate and try to execute on the strategic plan and with the risks that are attendant to that, especially for a company that hasn't been able to achieve and create value with operating on their plan, the uh, activist is going to urge an M&A process because they believe that a premium, a sale at a premium is in bird in hand now is better than kind of waiting to see if a strategic plan bears fruit, especially where the activist doesn't have confidence in, in management to create. 
And as we all know, ESG has become a really big theme in a couple of contests this year. Where does this form of activism go next? It's hard to say, but look, I, all recent signs point to ESG as being here to stay, especially as far as social reform, social justice, and environmental concerns are, are involved. So, you know, look, obviously, Exxon and Engine Number 1 was a seminal moment for ESG and activism as it was a confluence of the two in terms of the success of that campaign. And I believe, you know, activism is it's incredibly fluid and it's incredibly versatile. You know, 15 years ago, if you had told me that shareholder activism was going to branch off into all of these different areas we've seen over the past five years and which we'll continue to see over the next decade, I wouldn't have quite believed it. This is definitely not the activism anymore that we had seen uh, in the early 2000s, where it was very cookie cutter. It was uh, kind of a one-dimensional form of shareholder activism with participants that were, were rather limited, a small universe of participants. Activism is now a much broader phenomenon involving all sorts of investors, not just a limited number of quote-unquote activist investors. And looking at all different sorts of issues that involve a public company. So, you know, ESG is in, in many ways was a natural outgrowth of shareholder activism because anytime you have certain important issues that face certain types of companies that aren't being addressed by those companies and their boards and management teams, who's going to be there to try to strike up and catalyze the change? It's generally shareholder activists or any investor that does speak up publicly is going to be labeled a shareholder activist. So look, I think ESG is here to stay. And the company, Exxon, it's not going to be the last of its kind in terms of a proxy fight that's centered around ESG. I've heard mumblings of other large public companies that have low-hanging fruit in terms of environmental changes that they can enact. And I think we're going to continue to see the funds that are created with the purpose of helping companies improve their ESG take fights at certain of these companies. And Andrew, it's been six months of change at the SEC with consultations on new mandatory issuer disclosure, changes to the proxy advisor rules and universal proxy returning to the table. Is all of this good for activism, do you think? Anytime you have a, a new guard come in at the SEC, we're, we're always wary of what changes may be coming. So far, the news seems mostly positive for activists. We welcome the universal proxy rule coming back onto the table and we'll see where that goes. You know, one of the recent developments, which isn't so welcoming, is the SEC's potential focus on shortening the 13D 10-day window. My view is if a regime or set of rules hasn't shown itself to be broken, then there's no need to fix it. And to me, any steps the SEC takes that could disincentivize shareholder activists, it would be a disservice to investors at large and also to public companies. So you know, we'll have to you know, see where this goes with the, the potential shortening of the 13D 10-day window. But again, I, I don't think there is justification at this point that demonstrates how investors are harmed by activists uh, having 10 days, 10 calendar days to file their 13Ds. And, and I don't believe we've seen any attendant harm in the form of activists building creeping control type positions in those 10 calendar days. And also to say there's 
several other defenses that companies have, whether it be under state laws like Delaware Section 203 with its 15% threshold. Many companies, as we saw in 2020, have adopted poison pills that would also cap an activist at a certain percentage ownership. So if the idea is to the concern is around preventing an activist from acquiring some form of creeping control during the 10-day window, then I think it's already being addressed by several other rules and laws. You know, again, we'll we'll see where it goes, but uh, you know, I'd caution the SEC about enacting rules that could disincentivize activists from playing the important role that they play at public companies. As far as the proxy advisory rules, I think it was welcome development to see those being taken off the table, as I believe they have been. And, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. The SEC's got a lot on its plate these days, and uh, I'm sure it's got a, you know, full agenda. And we'll we'll, we'll have to see uh, where its focus lies as it it relates to shareholder activism. They they definitely have their hands full, so, so it'll be exciting to see where things shake up. And finally, Andrew, it looks like it might be a busy summer and fall this year. Would you say there's a lot of room for activism to grow? There's a tremendous amount of room for activism to grow. Just the sheer number of participants in the space is growing. In the last six months alone, we're seeing former directors, former CEOs, and former founders dipping into the activist toolkit where they've been, for whatever reason, forced to leave the public company that they were with. So the number of entrants is always increasing. We're seeing a continued convergence of activism in the private equity world. You know, that in and of itself is enlarging and emboldening the area of shareholder activism. Globally, we're seeing campaigns. Look what's happened in Japan, Toshiba. Uh, We're seeing a continued warming towards activism and the positive forces of shareholder activism in terms of taking companies that have had some sort of an inertia set in where, for whatever reason, boards are showing themselves to be too complacent and not taking the action that needs to be taken at certain of these companies on their own accord. So you kind of need what what outside force is going to step in and sort of stir the pot a little bit. But that's shareholder activism. And, you know, we're seeing it worldwide. And I think we're going to continue to. And I think Europe has been a little bit quiet. And same with Canada, two very important areas globally and geographically for shareholder activism have been rather quiet because the pandemic has extended longer in those regions than certain other parts of the world. But I believe in the fall, you know, once more of the areas have been vaccinated, I think Canada's reaching critical mass soon. I think same goes for Europe. I believe we're going to see tremendous uptick in global activism, especially Europe, Asia, and Canada come fall and late summer. So I'm expecting, based on what we're seeing here at Olshan, I'm expecting it to continue to be very busy. Thank you for joining us. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on. So that's Activist Insight Monthly. And in the July edition of Proxy Monthly, Rebecca Sherritt examines the growing pressure on boards to ensure they are sufficiently diverse. It also features an interview with Michael Hugman, Director of Climate at the Children's Investment Fund Foundation, exploring the rise of the Say on Climate campaign. Michael will also be joining me on our next Beyond the Boardroom episode, so look out for that. Speaking of Beyond the Boardroom, I thought I'd play you a short clip of our latest episode with Tracy Gopal, who told us all about her Japan Board Diversity Network, which seeks to accelerate gender board diversity across the country. The message that is sent by having women on the board is very strong. And that message needs to be heard throughout the company. 
So it may be simply natural for a woman to initiate this conversation or have this conversation initiated about gender equity because there is a woman or women in the room. All you've got to do is scroll down your list of episodes to hear that one in full. However, that's it for today's episode. Make sure you get your copy of our half-year review by visiting our website. Remember you can subscribe to our two magazines by emailing subscriptions at insitia.com. As always, if you want something discussed on a future episode, email press at insitia.com. And join the conversation by using the hashtag ActivistInsightPodcast over on Twitter. Lastly, please rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you're using because it really does help others access our reporting. I'm Kieran Paul and I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening.